You must come to help me find the jewel. What jewel? The jewel of the Nile. Our most priceless jewel. Our actual. Hello and welcome to Unequal Sequel. My name is Dave and I'm one of the two hosts of this flaming hot podcast. Oh, like Monster Munch. I like it. Yeah. And I'm Rich and I'm the other host of this flaming hot podcast. Think of me as Obelix to Dave's Asterix. I'm massive, but he's deceptively strong. Perfect. I love Asterix and Obelix. The premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, worst ever sequel, and finally their dream sequel. And, of course, quite often drift off and talk about movies and other things, you know, because we like to. Yeah. And we also delve into spoiler territory on a few of the films we talk about. So if you're worried about spoilers or haven't seen one of the movies we talk about, just skip that part and then come back. Okay? Good idea. Yeah. On today's episode, we are joined by Jane Crofer. Jane is... A brilliant film journalist. She is the editor-in-chief of Total Film Magazine, which is a brilliant film magazine that you should all go out and have a look at. She does brilliant film criticism, and yeah, she's she's a, was a wonderful guest. Yeah. We are very excited to sit down and chat all things sequels with Jane. These are Jane Crowther's Unequal Sequels. Enjoy! Do you remember the first sequel you got excited about recently or when you were young? I mean, when I was little, the film I saw loads of times at the cinema that was my big one that went repeatedly was Back to the Future. So yeah, that was the one that I can remember being actively excited about a sequel. Do you remember the going to see it at the cinema or was it VHS at home from the Oh school? no, cinema for that, yeah. Because the Back to the Future was my big cinema going experience, the thing I really sort of watched repeatedly. So definitely number two in the cinema in Bradford. At the Odeon. I'm so jealous. Is it what? What makes you love Back to the Future so much? Was it oh, Michael just, J. Fox? Yes, I was a big Family Ties fan, so that that was not a, a small factor in it. But it is just an absolutely perfect film. It's completely yeah. timeless, and you know, I show it to young kids now. That you know, like anyone that hasn't seen Back to the Future, I'm like, oh, hey, child, let me show you this. And it doesn't matter, you know, what generation you're from, you get it and you understand, yeah, yeah. and you're like, oh. You know, that's really weird that his mum's trying to kiss him. And, um, you know, the, the idea of time travel is something that I love anyway in any film. Because um, just so wish it existed for real. Um, perhaps it does. No government is telling us. But, yeah, yeah I would I would love to have a DeLorean. And very, very nearly bought one whilst drunk at an auction, uh, a car auction in Palm Springs once. Um, but realised that it didn't actually run and it was in Palm Springs, so there'd be no way I could get it home <laughs> or actually make it a thing. And also, those things don't fit in your garage, do they? The gold wing is no good in no, the modern no. snow. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, thankfully, it was a fleeting moment that I nearly bought one. But um, sometimes I still think about it and think, wouldn't it be cool if just outside on my road with its parking <laughs> permit for Hackney, there was a DeLorean? That'd be amazing. It would. I saw a picture the other day that someone had turned a an old Volkswagen Scirocco into a De- oh. DeLorean lookalike. It was. So my uh, my mum had a silver Scirocco, so this was the closest that I got. I would get dropped off and picked up in school in the Scirocco, and we used to think it's as close as we'll get to DeLorean. I'm not a car person. Do the doors do that? No. Sadly, no. Oh. <laughs> got that sort of blunt nose that a DeLorean had, and. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got you. A sort of VW kinder version of a DeLorean. Yeah. Amazing. Do you think the sequel's better than the first one in Back to the Future? Or even the third one in that minute? No. No, no, no. You cannot beat the first one. The first one's perfection. There's all sorts of things I have have problems with in the second and the third. I still love them. But no, it's number one for me all the way. Uh, Do you have any love for the third one? It's okay. You know? (sighs) Breaking my yeah. heart. Yeah, is it your favourite? I, I think two's my favourite because it's got lots of the first one and I like the future stuff. Mm. Um, but I've got a soft spot for three. I think yeah. might have been my first one I watched 
And oh, I had the right. computer game on my Mega Drive, and it was yeah, the most yeah. impossible game I've ever played in my life. I can never mm. get past the first level. It just brings yeah. back good memories. Yeah. Um, so you're a one, two, three kind of fan. Yes. Yes, that's the order I would put them in. I respect that. Richard, are you the same? Or are you? Yeah, a... I'm one, two, three as well. We've had this discussion before, I think, Dave. Where it's me because Back to the Future is like the perfection <laughs> trilogy. It's probably the most perfect trilogy. Yes, yes. And God help anyone who ever tried to mess with that. Um, They're not so going to yes. go, right? No, they can't. It would be absolute sacrilege. Um, but I am keen. I am keen to see the stage show, though, to see what they do with a DeLorean on a stage. So yeah. that, that's my sort of next foray into the Back to the Future world, I think. Right, let's let's get on to the big question, which is always the interesting question. It's a Monday, so what is your best sequel today? My best sequel is Before Sunset, which is the sequel to uh, Before Sunrise. That's a great film. A Me great and Richard film. only watched this recently. Why, why do you love it so much? Um, I think because I loved the first one. I, I don't think I'd seen a film sort of like that, that that was just two people talking and that the script was so good and so involving that you didn't need anything else. You just watched two people flirt their way around Vienna um, and that it ended on this bittersweet note that, you know, would they meet again? Would they get back together? And I love that. I love a bittersweet ending. Um, I love, you know, Brief Encounter and things like that where, or, you know, Casablanca, where Hmm. it could be different, but actually life isn't like that and it's imperfect Hmm. and it's kind of beautiful that it's imperfect. So I loved that film for that reason. And then when they were making the sequel, the fact that all of the people involved in it were the same people and sort of were safeguarding that sort of perfect film, um, made me really excited to see what they do with this. And it's just, you know, everybody understands this feeling that they explore in Before Sunset um, of the one that got away and what if you had seen them? What if you had met them? What if you had said sorry at that moment and they hadn't left? Um, Where would you be? And what would it be like? And that sort of delicious sort of fizzle between two people that have this romantic history that never fully sort of got going. and I think they explore that beautifully. And the fact that it's in sort of real time, obviously camera tricks and um, uh, script tricks, but it, but it is essentially the, the couple of hours before he gets on the plane back home um, to his whole other life. And the fact that once again, it ends on this tantalizing cliffhanger of what will happen. Will mm. they take it further? And you're just willing them to and that, beautiful ending i love that that's what i love most about it that he's just watching her dance in the kitchen and you think i I think he's going to miss that plane but they don't tell you that but you're like yeah yeah i think he is i hope he is i want him to miss that plane um yeah i love it it's it's fantastic it's a it's a great sequel we haven't rich have you seen the first one yet i have seen the first one now i think the second one's better actually yeah i prefer the second one to the first one maybe that's because i'm just older and i relate a little bit more to the second one than the first one because you know that that kind of teenage love is long gone for me now. Um, <laughs> I've not seen I've not seen the third one yet though, so maybe maybe the third one will, will resonate as well. But the second one, I just think it's perfect. I I absolutely mm. love it, and I love how to, it just drops you as a voyeur into their conversation. You know, it's like you're mm. follow you're secretly following them round and watching their conversation. You know, it's it's yeah. just the perfect bit of people watching. It's yeah, amazing. and Paris as well. You know, oh, just looks, yeah. it makes Paris look wonderful. Not that it isn't wonderful, but it really is sort of this lovely place to walk and talk and grab a glass of wine and walk by the river and you know just talk about nonsense. Um, yeah, and I think they really the script really gets flirting. You know, we see a lot of terrible flirting in films um, where people have sort of got bants or wisecracks or sort of say weird things because they think it's quirky cute and it's just weird and the way these two people interact and flirt with such loaded things that they say that you know they're sort of saying something else as well is how real people talk I think. It's very natural isn't it? They've got great chemistry those two. Do you think it would work if they put them like in a horrible city I'm trying to think of a place that's horrible (laughs) They were in Slough just walking around in the rain Slough yeah would it have the same effect or is it it, Paris plays a character doesn't it Yeah I think that's the case with all of these films Um, Vienna is a character in the first one Paris in the second one and then a beautiful Greek island in the third I think it it is part of the the Mm. whole thing and it's the third person in the 
in the narrative really yeah it totally works better because it's paris it makes paris it does what a lot of british films do for london is that it mm. just makes paris look perfect oh yeah, yeah. and I've, I've been to Paris a few times, and it's definitely not perfect. <laughs> it's definitely like... But, you know, maybe if you'd met an old girlfriend who has a lovely apartment, then maybe. she took you back to play records and, you know, walked you to her little bistro on the corner, maybe it would be as beautiful as that for you. Maybe. Yeah, Rich. Maybe. It's, personally, I found Paris as about as romantic as Birmingham, but, you know, that, that would have, you know, I didn't have that experience. <laughs> need Julie Delpy to guide you round. I do. Yeah, you need a guide. I really do. <laughs> It's not like a travel show, but I really like. I like. I liked Paris when I went there. I found it very romantic. I went like a, a I'd say a semi honeymoon, um, until at night, and then I walked along the river at night, and it was just thousands of rats, and that wasn't so romantic. Yeah. But until then, it all point, gets a bit lame. there, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't want that bit. Or yeah. a bit ratatouille. I was like, oh, that's fine. They're going to be friendly. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to make me dinner. He makes a great five-star Michelin-star dish. It's fine. Just think <laughs> yeah. about that. Well, lucky thing about Paris is a croque monsieur. That's 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 the only. I love it. Um, do you have a favourite scene in Before Sunset? I mean, I think it's probably that final one. Um, just the way that Ethan Hawke looks at Judy and she's dancing, and the smile that creeps across his face, and there's no real words needed, and it's a mm. sort of funny little obscure song, and she's just dancing around. Um, yeah, and you think, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're not going to get that plane. I love that. It's it's just perfection. So so when it came out, how much were you waiting for it? How much anticipation was it? Were you were you were you work were you working? Was it a screening at that point? Or yeah, was it at yeah, home? yeah. And um, I really, I mean, I love, I love all of those guys. I love I love Delpy. I love Hawk. I love um, Linklater. I think they're just all great. So all of their work, really, apart from. Uh, a werewolf in Paris which we'll gloss over for Judy but all of their work really is really thoughtful and interesting and feels alive and so to see them get together uh, and also I love the fact you know he explored this much more in, in other projects but I love the fact that they waited that amount of time and then did it when they were older people and different yeah, people yeah. Um, and then again with the third one waited again so that it really reflected their own real life and, and the messiness of life and, and the things that you do learn and why you're different when you're, uh, you know, a decade older than you were running around Vienna as a student in Doc Martens. Um, yeah, it, I just think it's really clever the way they play with that. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think it would work for like a 20-year-old or do you think it, it works with for people in their mid-30s best? Who can relate with it more? Oh, I think anyone can relate to that. You don't it's have love, to be. It? Yeah, it's it's love. It's that that boy or that girl that you, you know, didn't um, fulfill the sort of romantic promise with, and what would happen if you remet? Um, you know, would would you find that you had missed an opportunity? Or would you be like, thank God, I didn't get into a relationship with them? Um, <laughs> I think anyone can relate to that. Yeah. Would would you be interested in a, a fourth one if it came along? Would yes. you be interested? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would like to see those guys as grandparents and what they're up to and whether they're still together, whether they're co-parenting, you know, apart or whatever it is that they're doing. I'd really like to see what they're doing. I'd like to see yeah, every every couple of years just to check in with Jesse and um and see what he's up to and how much of a idiot he is because that's the other thing I like about it they're not afraid to make Jesse uh he's not a perfect boy he's not like a Hollywood dream boy he is yeah. quite messy and um arrogant and uh selfish and all of those things as well as being charming and dashing and silly and romantic so um yeah I want to see what he's doing now do you think there'll be a scenario where there was film it in america like new york or somewhere or la or whatever town totally. he's from yeah totally could work i think i feel like ethan, ethan hawk is a new yorker don't you yeah um, i think in, the, in this film he mentions he tried living in new york for a few years but he doesn't yeah. like and he moved back yeah. home and i can't remember where that is texas now. yeah yeah texas is texas mm. i would uh, very much like to see a new york version yeah i think that'd be see interesting getting together with a family oh introducing new characters i st- 
I think this works so well because there's there's barely any cast as well. For those mm. two just to carry it for the whole film is just incredible. Yeah, um, that's like what's it. great yeah. about it though. It's great that it's just the two of them. Like yeah. it's that's what makes it so good is that there isn't there no one else makes it complicated. No one else gets in the way. You know, there's just a few incidental people working in the bookshops and you know, yes, the cafe, you know, kind of the cafe. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it just makes it about them. And I'm. I'm not a massive Ethan Hawke fan. I never have been a really big Ethan Hawke fan. But honestly, I could just watch this film over and over again. You know, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter. It's so he's. It, I forget that I don't like him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ethan, well, well, that's seems so you, though. You forget, <laughs> he's, horrible, he's a horrible person. <laughs> you forget that it's actually like you think they're just filming a couple, following them for most of it. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's how, that's how natural it is. And, yeah, I like but I think it. it's also that, you know, you really see their real shared history as well because they are good friends and they really do keep in touch and they do have this very natural sort of ambiance with each other. And you can see that entirely and believe it and it feels authentic because it really is and they are old friends. Um, so, yeah, just it just works perfectly for me. Yeah. Do you, When you're suggesting this to a new person who hasn't seen any of the sunset films yeah how do you go about describing it like what's your selling point well one of the selling points is it's not long in this day and age it's you know two hours and a bit nearly three hours for a bond film i love Mm. a 90 minute film that isn't (sighs) requiring a lot of you you are just like sit down watch it it's 90 minutes of your life and it will transport yeah. you. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds really awful and not artistic to say that, but it is one of the things I, you know, like it's a 90 minute film of pure perfection and you will feel as though you've been to the city that they're in and you will feel connected to those characters in that time. And it's just a real exercise in economy, isn't it? That you can do so much in an hour and a half. It is possible. You don't need three hour running time. Um, to get to a place where those characters live with you for a long time after you've finished the film. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think if you watch a lot of films, then you're just crying out for a 90-minute film. Like, I'm, sort of <laughs> yeah. like, I'm so... I'm really done with, like, three-hour-long films now. Like, especially, like, long action sequences and, like, f- overflowing slow-mo. I'm done. I'm done with that. Give mm. me 90 minutes of two people walking around Paris talking. Well, yeah. There's no, there's no wasted minute, is there? In in this, it's all no important. Well, no, because it has to be, doesn't it? Because that's the fallacy of it that it's in real time. So um, you can't really have them just fannying around, you know, going to the loo or whatever it is. <laughs> like, it has to, it has to work in that time period that you yeah. set yourself. Um, and sometimes that works with for other films, and sometimes it really does. And doesn't. this one, it really does. Mm. Yeah, I like, I like this. I haven't watched the third one yet. So I'm trying to skate around spoilers because I'm still trying to wait for like um. There's a nice box set, isn't there? And I want a four. I want a four K yes. box set because I'm up. I'm upgrading the collection yes, now. Absolutely. What is the most disappointing sequel you you've seen? As in, it's not the worst, but you went in with high expectations and you came out and you're like, ah. Oh my god. Um. Oh, I know. Brilliant. It too. It too. Yeah. Agreed. Um. I thought they did a absolutely fabulous job with it chapter one um and having been a massive fan of the original um tv version with uh, tim curry and then being very disappointed with what happened in the latter sort of stages of that film when i saw <laughs> it part one it i was like want. oh my god it is you... <laughs> oh no <laughs> surely there's people out there that don't know that he turns into a <laughs> um and so yeah and I was just hoping that they'd decide to go off piste and think, you know what, this doesn't work and let's do something different. And I hoped against hope that that would happen. And it started out really well. And then it just went down that rabbit hole. And it's that thing you're talking about again of, you know, half an hour of weird CGI actiony crap that I'm like, yeah. And I'm not scared anymore now because, and then the denouement, which is, Oh, you can, stop him by doing this you're like what oh it's what? so long it's so, so long yeah it's so long and you know i think 
you know, McAvoy and Chastain and everyone do some great stuff. And I love all that beginning bit and the, the threateningness of the, you know, the, the opening sequence of him turning up and being absolutely terrifying on the banks of a river and the balloons and everything. It has such great promise. And then, yeah, it's just, it's just that big old spider yeah. again, isn't it? I know Rich hasn't seen this because he doesn't watch horror films. I haven't. Uh, it's, okay. It's not that I don't deliberately watch horror films. It's just they don't really appeal. If there's something else, I'll watch something else instead, really. I mean, this Pennywise is just... I mean, I actually cried watching it. I was so... It gave me such the heebie-jeebies that I had to sort of have a little pause. It was... It was you know, when you're so terrified, you're a bit like yeah. teary. That was me. I thought it was so good, the part one. But mm. then... Yeah, that's great. It just doesn't stick the land in part two, no, does it? No, not at all, sadly. Do you think it's not as frightening when... In the part one, it's, it's frightening because it's against kids. And, you know, it's nightmarish. Mm. And then you get to the second one and they're adults. And you think, oh, adults should be able to deal with this a little bit better than, you know, children. Mm. No, it's just that stupid... What he really is business, isn't it? It's just, you know... <laughs> So stupid. Um, <laughs> it's so stupid. Just... Did you go to the press screening of this by any chance? Yes. In London on the IMAX. Yes. One, and it went on forever because yes. they had an introduction. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was just another one that was too long. Um, yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Very disappointing. It wasn't great. That's a great answer. We haven't had that one yet, and we're going to use that for examples when we ask this future question. What is your worst sequel ever? And this is a cracker. Um, it is Jewel of the Nile, uh, the sequel to Romancing the Stone. Um, yeah, talk about promise being squandered. Uh, this was a wonderful film. This is one of my favourite films, Joan Wilder's Adventures in Cartagena, um, mm. with, you know, that amazing theme tune and everything else. And then, yeah, Jewel of the Nile comes along. Ugh. I mean, Billy Ocean video, everyone in a white suit. Nothing you're doing, Kathleen and Danny DeVito and Michael Douglas. Doing all that dancing in Billy Ocean's video isn't going to set off the fact that this is absolute garbage. It is. I mean, it really is. It really is. I mean, we've talked about it before in the, in the last series, didn't we? And it's mm. so bad. So bad. And, I mean, it's just what there's only mm. one joke in it. Is it just Danny DeVito falls off a camel. That's yeah, your joke. Yeah. See you later. And, you know, like this <laughs> this crazy thing that they were like, you know that bit that's kind of awkward in the first film where, you know, Michael does a little boogie. Shall we revisit that? Yeah, let's do that because it wasn't awkward enough in the first one. Let's make it super awkward and have it in a weird tribal dance um, that's not offensive at all. I mean, that's the other thing about this. Um, it has not it's... aged well, has it? Nope. Um, no, not so at all. I and I don't even think it was okay when it came out. To be honest, the sort of let's all laugh at you know people um, living in in Arabic countries because that's amusing. Um, it really is quite dodgy and problematic now. Um, Joan Wilder as well. Just you know, at the end of the first one, she had become you know a strong woman who was capable of looking after herself and once again they're like yeah let's just dial that back deck back to being utterly hopeless and having to be rescued mm-hmm. what a shame yeah. you know we've we've given her this journey in the first one um and she's now capable we're just gonna forget that she ever had that adventure and um stick her in the middle of another thing where michael douglas has to rescue her you're a big fan of the original romance in the stone right i love um, it what do you love about that film and then we'll go we'll... I mean, is it the chemistry because I think good the together. chemistry is amazing, isn't it? Um, I, you know, I love, I do love Michael Douglas as an actor. I think he's really great in everything from, you know, Wall Street to Falling Down. Uh, I love Basic Instinct. You know, that's a guilty pleasure of mine because so no shame, so wrong. But again, and he has the chemistry with Kathleen in this that he so doesn't have with Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, which is partly why I love it. Also, the fact that he goes to a disco in a V-neck wool sweater. Anyway, that's another film. <laughs> um, this one is great because, uh, you know, I I love Joan Wilder as a character. This cat lady in New York who gets sick on the um, escalator at Bloomingdale's, has never been on a plane, just absolutely hopeless, takes high heels to the jungle, and then ends up in the middle of the jungle with a very peeved off um, Jack and Jack Colton is not a man to be trifled with and you're like of course they're going to fall in love but that 
it's such a really good example of that chalk and cheese that they hate each other so much that they actually fancy each other um yeah and you know i love i love danny devito in this i i love the whole um the map finding i love a map finding thing you know i love indiana jones i love the goonies i love looking for treasure who doesn't so it's got that element and yeah just some great great one-liners you know i love the guy who's like the sort of drug kingpin that they knock on the door of and it looks all really bad but he's actually a massive fan of romance novels and he's like john just stupid i love it it's great and also they're like i live for the day now that you know the world is opening up again of going to cartagena purely to get off the plane and say is this the bus to cartagena because i want to be joan wilder um yeah i think it's a fabulous film brilliant yeah and it, it had everything going for it that could be a franchise i think the studio i can't remember what studio it was must have looking for okay we might have this indiana jones type adventure romp mm-hmm. here let's get them going again as soon as possible but you've probably read all the stories about how wrong it went or well yeah filming Yes, I mean Kathleen Turner didn't was sued to do it, and she was like, "This script is pap," and uh, they were like, "No, contractually obliged." Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was not a happy inception for this film, and I don't think anybody involved felt that we were making anything very good. Yeah, and maybe that's why it really doesn't work because you can feel that watching it that it's just going through the motions, and we're just taking the money and doing the script, and off we go. But we doesn't have the fun either, you know, the twinkle in you know michael douglas's eye that you have in the first one and and kathleen turner as well like you just they're just not into it at all and, yeah and this whole idea as well that the jewel is a man Ooh, that's disappointing <laughs> too isn't it, it i is love a bit, a bit of yeah. treasure i want treasure where's my where's my treasure i'm still not quite sure what the storyline is to be honest i was watching it today and i'm still yeah. a little bit baffled and it's just so dull. It's yeah, so boring. Yeah, mm, just a lot is. of chasing across sand dunes, isn't it? And um, weird. Yeah. That There's weird a bit scene. in a plane that doesn't even go off anywhere. Yeah, just... a bit in a plane that just basically takes out loads of laundry, doesn't it? That's that thing. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. It here. does seem to be a yeah. little chemistry still between between Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. Whether, whether that's hate in their eyes instead of love this time round, but they do. Like you said, you mentioned basically instinct. It's they're still better than than Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone. You know, yeah. they still feel like they, you know, at least have met each other before. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think most people have more chemistry. I think we have more chemistry than Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone. So, thank um, you. But I, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, which is you know just dreadful films. I love Basic Instinct is one of my favourites. So. I'd listen yeah. to it. I mean, that's the only positive mm. thing I've got about this. <laughs> that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, when you've got a sequel that's so bad that it makes you like think fondly of Basic Instinct, then it's not good, is it? And that's that's the criteria I'm talking about. I'm actually thinking, you know, it's been a while since I've watched Basic Instinct. I might suffer through that tonight rather than don't put that more. don't put that sequel on. Yeah, no, no, more, definitely more, put two oh, of that. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about terrible sequels, wow, Stan Collymore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird casting. Mm. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, back to Ronson. I think Rich said it last time that this film is so bad that you forget how bad it is, and then you go back to it and think it can't be as bad as I thought it was. That is the worst yeah. thing about this film. Yeah, is that it's terrible in a really forgettable way, and so you think mm. it can't be that bad. I will just watch it again, and then you go, no, 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 it is that bad. Like it yeah. just tricks you into watching it again. <laughs> yeah, and you and you know someone will say to you, "Why is it so bad?" And you're like, oh, I, don't, "I don't know." Don't know. I can't, Maybe I'll watch it again. I can't recall a single element about it, and that's because there isn't anything that makes you recall it. It's just pap. All I knew for years was the music video. Mm. I thought that was always from the first one. No. And then someone told me he's like, "Oh no, that's for the sequel." Mm. I was like, "There's a sequel." I'll check that out, and I was bitterly disappointed. Mm. When you went first to see Jewel of the Nile. How excited were you? Were there rumours that it was bad? Or did, were the trailers selling it for you at that point? Or did you go in blind for, this is going to be great? Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I think I just had great faith that why would it not be the same again with these people? I love these people. I love Kathleen Turner. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I was sold anything in particular. But yeah, I just was like, uh, watching it. <laughs> mm. Oh, no. That's the general feeling of it, isn't it? Right? It's just, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
That's how you sum it up. (laughs) Would you have accepted a third one if it came along? Would would you go back for a third? I would, of course, actually, probably if they if they did, you know, like it's the massive rage at the moment to take a film that came out in the 80s and do like a clever uh, revisit, like a Ghostbusters Afterlife or, Mm. um, you know, a Blade Runner 2049 to do something that would. So I would happily watch Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas on another adventure if they did it cleverly. But there's nothing clever about this second one. So, yeah, it'd have to be very different from that. Their kids or something would that be too predictable? The grandkids, I would think at this point. Well, no, what I would think is you you send their grandkids off mm. it on they go on a backpacking holiday, get into trouble, and they're like send a message home, and who goes in to rescue you? The grandparents do because the grandparents are very capable, and you know they understand how to you know get through the jungle and how to chop off the heels of Italian shoes and <laughs> ride mudslides and. Uh, you know, survive going over a waterfall in a Citroen C5. So, um, all good. All good. I'd watch that. <laughs> I'd watch that too. Sounds cracking. I'm always a little bit sad they never got around to a third one. And then I remember how bad the second one was. They read the reviews and they were like, let's leave that, I reckon. Mm. I, I've always heard rumours of a remake as well. Uh, I don't know how that will take off. But without Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner and their... Well, you've got kind of a remake coming out, not a remake, but a a sort of um, nod to with the Lost City of D with with, um, Sandra Bullock and uh, Channing Tatum that's coming out next summer, which is she, I think, is a romance novelist and he is the model for the cover of her book and they end up in the jungle in a real life scenario of one of her novels. So essentially they have remade it. But yeah, um, and I'm. You can take my money right now for Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum in the jungle. I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, that sounds excellent. I really hope that Channing Tatum's like useless in the jungle. You know, like if he's and if she's he's the model, really yeah, she's really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like she saves him. Like that would yeah. be that would be nice. I think I'm hoping. I I can't imagine it isn't that to be honest. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. What is the sequel? that you got dragged kicked, kicking and screaming to see and then it turned out to be really good or quite good. Is there a, a film you reviewed or a screening you've been to that you didn't want to go to and it turned out to be, oh, that was actually quite good fun? Our prime example is the hitman's wife's bodyguard, I think. It's that neither of us were... Neither of us particularly wanted to see it and we both came out going, that was fun! <laughs> Jane does not feel the same about that. No, I... Absolutely loathe that one. Um, that was our first film back in after the pandemic. We'll actually yeah, yeah. allow back yeah. into Yeah, well, London I mean, or... frankly, anything you watch back after the pandemic, you're just like giddy, weren't you? It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's on a big screen. Of it. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We should watch it again, Rich. You might find out it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. I didn't pause it in the middle to put some laundry on or get an Amazon parcel from the man at the door. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. dark room. Um, yeah. Uh, I went on set of Thor um, Into the Dark World, number two. And yeah. was very excited. Thought it'd be great. Saw it on, and the Thursday I was like, oh god, fucking elves, the dark elves, and this nonsense. And just this is awful. I think I'm dreading the next Thor movie. And then of course it was Thor Ragnarok. So I went into Thor Ragnarok with very low expectations, and of course it was uh, Taika Waititi and him playing the rock guy, Karg, mm. and just this irreverence and Tessa Thompson being just amazing and excellent. Um, So yeah, I think Thor Ragnarok was the one that I had extremely low expectations, had to go for work, really, really enjoyed. Um, And yeah, and speaking of sort of bad sequels as well, starring Tessa Thompson, I was also on set of Men in Black uh, with Tessa and Chris Hemsworth and hoped for the best for that and it didn't come out well either. So Tessa... Tick, Thor Ragnarok, Tessa, no, for Men in Black. Yeah. I think that's a great shout. Were you in Greenwich or was it somewhere more... uh... Oh, for the Thor one, I was actually on on the back lot um, on um, Thanksgiving Day, actually, and we all had a Thanksgiving lunch on that day. Um, So, yes, we were at, um, I think it was Long Cross, that one, and uh, I was in the Great Hall. Uh, I was on the Dark Elves spaceship prodding the sides of that, Went into the armourers section, um, saw little elf heads everywhere. Yeah, did the yeah. whole thing and felt 
very excited and then saw it and it was not good is is going on set is that always a good sign like can you tell if a, sh- a film never. is going to be bad or good never I've always wondered that well sometimes no, actually there is one film that I got on set and when I came back I said that is not going to do anything and they want it to be a franchise and it absolutely won't so there was one that I definitely could feel that but you know can you say what one that is um, it was uh, what's it called the one... that was how good it was the one about the little boy that's a bit of a genius capturing fairies that Kenneth Branagh directed. Um, uh, uh, Artemis no. Fowl? Thank you, Artemis Fowl. Went that on Artemis was Fowl. truly horrific. And, um, yeah, you got they had built an entire proper set in the style of a, you know, Privet Drive Harry Potter sort of thing yeah, with, yeah. with the optimism of that being multiple films. But, yeah, it just... It felt like it wouldn't go anywhere, and then it did come out, and it wasn't any good. So, which I'm sad about because Kenneth Branagh is a great director. Um, yeah, and that's but, a lot of people love those books. Yeah, yeah, they do, but it didn't. It didn't work. But yes, but yeah, most of the time when you're on a set, you don't really have any idea because you can't see the finished item. You have no idea. You're often going in in the middle of a film. You're turning up on Bond on day 39 or whatever, and they're doing something mm. that's in the middle, and You've no idea um, how it fits into the story, what it will look like, how those effects will look. Um, and it's very disjointing from what it looks like to what it ends up like. You know, when you watch something with uh, special effects and everything, uh, when I was on Men in Black, it was the scene um, outside St. Paul's with the two twins coming up the road and, you know, they're shooting all the guns. And they were literally had rubber guns that they were just going, yeah, and yeah. people shouting, bang and <laughs> and it just it looks it looks daft when you see people do it. i mean i take my hat off to actors for being able to actually suspend their disbelief to do this stuff because i just be like but this this looks rubbish what i'm doing here but of course it looks much better when it's had all the editing the sound design the special effects the music it looks yeah, great yeah. at the end but um but yeah you can't really tell when you just go on one day in the middle of a shoot <laughs> Let's do dream sequel. Yeah, because this is an this is an interesting pick. What is your dream sequel? So, so this links very much to Before Sunset, um, in as much as uh, the film that I loved uh, in the last few years was Call Me by Your Name, and it was only half the book that was adapted. Um, okay. For the screen, a bit like Dune, and also starring Timothy Chalamet. Um, like so everything at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, he's in Wonka. He's he's <laughs> popping up everywhere. He's in the new uh, uh, Guadagnino. He's everywhere. But yes. So this, um, I love this film, and I love that tantalising ending that they part, and you f- you finish on a phone call, and you don't know if they'd ever meet again. If you've read the book, you know that they do. But for purposes of this film, you never know where it goes, or if if there were if they could have got back together, where would it have led them? Um, so yeah, so like uh, before sunset, I would like to meet them again in their older forms, which is in the book. Um, there is a bit more in the in the original book, and then there is a whole second book that's been re- written Ooh. by Andre Asman um, recently in the last couple of years that does have them meet up when Elio, who was the seventeen-year-old boy, is now in his thirties and a piano player in uh, Paris. And Oliver is a married professor in New England. And what would happen if, you know, uh, if Elio did go and visit Oliver and would those old yearnings still be there? Will, would that, you know, that really intense love still exist? Um, And I'd like to see that. And I'd like to see that with, again, I'd like to see that wait, uh, you know, a good 10 15 years so that they're at the right age that they should be when this happens and and bring that sort of history that real life history um of their life into that role i'd like to see what happens i think i'd like that movie better <laughs> would you did you not think, like yeah. it I, no no i did i i would wouldn't go as far as to say i didn't like it i think that I found Army Hammer quite sinister, but maybe that's because I know things about him now that I didn't, you know. Yeah, that, that is a... <laughs> So that is the issue, isn't it? It is problematic because at the moment, Army Hammer's sort of cancelled to all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but those elements are um problematic for a love story i guess so then it's a case of do you recast completely and have completely different people or do you just replace hammer and have chalamet i don't know um Mm. would he be would would hammer have been redeemed been 15 years time would he have made amends and you know been through his rehab and sorted himself out who knows um but yeah i i i did not find him sinister i found their romance absolutely you know intoxicating but I think yeah. maybe it's. I think for me, it felt almost like the the big love affair was kind of between the camera and the Italian countryside, well, rather yeah. than necessarily the two the two characters. Yeah. It almost felt like every time one of them was about to say something interesting, it cut to a random step or <laughs> something. Yeah, I, I, I just just missed that whereas before sunset is very felt very rich like the characters said mm. a lot this almost felt a little thinner that they didn't mm. they kind of didn't say enough but i do get yeah. the, i would definitely wouldn't go as far as say i didn't like you know i didn't like it i do absolutely see how beautiful it is as a film and i think yeah i, I don't know I, I i don't know whether i'd have found army hammer's character slightly creepy without it being army hammer i don't know mm. Mm. yeah well it was supposed to be shia labeouf would you have preferred shia labeouf oh i don't know i don't know if that had been worse <laughs> oh that, this is not going down a, a, oh that's I like, interesting I, I like peanut butter falcon that's a good film but i don't he's see i don't act. see he's a great actor yeah, he, i love him he is a great actor he's also problematic mm. i don't you think rich that the, the silence says a lot between the, the two of them like when they're not saying anything at all. Is yeah, I guess it. Quite no, I think it does. I think it does, and I think it's 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 really nice. I just felt like, just I I don't know. It just there's just something it missed for me. And, and like you say, I think actually I'd probably like the sequel more because from from what you've described, Jane, I, I think I'd enjoy the sequel because it would feel like they'd both have grown a little bit more, mm. and they'd both have that kind of more developed relationship potentially. And also, I don't think it would feel quite so problematic of the potential for an older man to take advantage of a younger boy. You know, I think Mm. that kind of, that problematicness would have gone away. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, I think maybe because Timothy Chalamet actually looks so young to me as well. I don't know. Maybe he looks younger than he is. Um, Maybe that felt... felt Army Hammer always looks like a 40-year-old man to me. (laughs) (laughs) He, 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 He... He's younger than me. I think he's younger than me in real life. He's younger than you, Rich. He's definitely he, younger than he me, looks, yeah. He, he, he's massive. Have you met him, Jane? Yes. Is he, as, yes. is he as tall as I imagine? He's imagined six he is? foot three, I believe. He's yeah. absolutely huge um, and incredibly handsome. Um, like, a, like a ridiculous person. Not a real person. Like a yeah, ridiculous, I can, I, tall, handsome person that is just not of this world. Just a. You can see why Timothy's character falls in love with him because he looks like he gives great hugs and stuff. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I think the thing is, isn't it, that you know, he's supposed to look like a Greek god. That's the idea, isn't it? That job done. His, his father is is this professor of antiquities, and Oliver is studying, you know, antiquities and. That every shot of Oliver is sort of taken from below looking up as though you're looking up at this Greek statue of a man and this perfection. So I think Hammer works for me in that respect, that he is this, and also that he's kind of blank. You know, we never really know much about <laughs> Oliver in this film. Uh, we don't really know entirely what he's thinking. We know a lot about what Elio is, but not much about what Oliver's thinking. And so um, yeah, that works again for me for Army Hammer because he's, he's sort of blank in a way um so yeah i think he's he's fantastic so in that I, role um yeah. i should say but yeah uh i feel exactly I, I love the it. Same. and also <laughs> and also you know as you said that the con again the countryside and and the sort of mm. location is another character it's all about and the music yeah kremer and paddling in beautiful rivers and you know eating ice cream in the square and peddling around those beautiful country lanes um mm. I was so taken with it, and my friend was so taken with it, we actually booked ourselves to go to Kremer, and we went on uh, a plane, and we went and paddled in that spot, and we went and sat in that square and had a drink, and um, 
turned up outside the house that the Perlman's house was. The gates were open. We crept in and stood on the lawn. So um, we did a little... Pictures? Pictures? Oh, yeah. Pictures, pictures, pictures. So we are that sad about this film that we actually did have our own little Call Me By Your Name tour. Um, And I can report that all of it is exactly as you see it in the film and all of it is absolutely stunning and beautiful. And I ate one of the best Italian meals of my life in Crema there. So... um, I am biased, I, I know, because when I watch it now, I see a great buffalo mozzarella I ate and that amazing gelato from that store and the fact that that river was dead cold but really delicious because it was really warm that day. So I haven't added um, joy in that film. Yeah, um, And so because of that, it's that very scared feeling of if they did do a sequel, would they be able to replicate that? sort of lightning in a bottle again and I think it'd be quite difficult so when I was watching it I thought I bet they're going to do tours I bet they're going to do tourist things where they take people around (laughs) around I don't think they do tours but it's very easy to find all the places it's a very small Italian town in northern Italy it's really easy easy jet flies you know into Bergamo where they end up in the final scenes it's very easy so uh, we should go Rich yeah, yeah. let's do yeah, it have a little let's, paddle let's go let's do it it's delicious and I also agree about Army Hammer being blank as well we talked about that on the, where we talked about Man From Uncle and mm. he just is you know just blah but it, but it works for Man From Uncle as well doesn't it to a certain degree because he's playing this sort of spy that isn't supposed to have a thought of his own he's just following his borders and off he goes and it kind of works for that as well and the whole man from uncle yeah feels like a film version of gq magazine you know yeah kind of, yeah, yeah that kind of feeling yeah. sorry dave you get your questions I... my two questions were one when you were on your little holiday did you yeah. play 80s music and dance around like of course two. yes and two your sequel to Call Me By Your Name, would you like it to be like Before Sunset, like a, a walkie-talkie, yes. uh, one-shot, flowing around uh, New no, York or somewhere? No, because uh, the book doesn't do that. So um, it would be sort of multi-centred. There would be a bit in uh, Connecticut and there would be a bit in Italy and there would be a bit in Alexandria. So you would get locations. Um, but, but yeah... Um, I don't think the walking talking would work for this because there's a lot mm. to get through. Yeah. Would you have Luca back? Is he going to come back? Yeah, I would love for him to do it again. I think he has such a brilliant way. I think his sort of um, way of capturing a place is is mo- mostly the success of that film. And um, he did it also in A Bigger Splash. And, Fantastic film. And, you know, also We Are Who We Are. You really get a sense of place with him. Um, so I think he'd be great. To, and also he knows the material so well and if it was to reunite Timothy and Army then he'd be the director to do it I think I, I did read a, a quote that he, he planned to do it, um, and it but it wasn't 15 years in the future it was like only 5 or something mm. so uh, uh, Timothy was going to be mid 20s and they yeah. were meant to film it so it was out now but obviously that hasn't happened well, some um, other stuff happened didn't it um, yes things got in the way do you think he's a little bit annoyed that what's happening with army like he's like oh hopefully that sorts itself out in somewhere or another or or would you re would you would you recast it is there an actor you think maybe there is maybe there's a case for recasting because when you are in when you are 17 you are a completely different person when you are 27 um so you know it it doesn't matter if you recast them both um so yeah maybe that's the way forward i don't know I'd like to see Adam Driver do Oliver older. I think oh, he's really intense yeah. and interesting and really brave in his choices and his and the way he does things. And I think he could be a really magnetic, sort of intense older Oliver who realizes that perhaps he missed a boat and chose the wrong thing in the past and he wants to grasp love mm. with both hands. I think Adam Driver could be quite interesting. I don't know who I'd cast as Oliver as Elio. I'd have to think about that. But, um... Yeah, all our little minds are going now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, do, do you have a favourite scene? Because I, I, I think me and Dave talked about this about our favourite scene mm. in it, and just wondering what your favourite scene was from there. I love the disco scene um, where he's on the dance floor dancing away, and it really intrigues Elio, and he's looking at him with new eyes because here's this guy who he thinks is a 
bit of a dick and who's sort of a bit snotty and just leaves him places saying later and then suddenly he's just caught up in the music and he sees in him a passion that he hasn't seen so far and that really intrigues him and he sits forward on the chair and really watches him on the dance mm. floor and then gets up and they dance together and um dancing is a real sort of sensual thing not if you're michael douglas obviously <laughs> but um <laughs> But yeah, it really is. And so that, and also the tune is just a banger, isn't it? So um, I love that. And I love that it's then later sort of nodded to when they are having their last night together, that tune comes on a car radio and they sort of dance in the street to it. And it's Hmm. bittersweet that 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 tune was the start of their sort of romance and also the end of it. Yeah. What about you guys? What was your favourite, if you had a favourite in it? I think mine, and I think yours, Dave, too, is the kind of the, the conversation with his, Elio's dad at the end. Oh, God. It's kind of... Oh, he's a, an amazing actor, isn't he? Yeah. That, that yeah. What's his... yeah. Michael Stuhlbarg. Which is oh, just the... Good and everything. Just yeah. the kind of... The, the... I don't know. It almost makes the film about ha- being lucky enough to be born to the right parents. You know, that's yes. kind of that's kind of the theme of the movie for me. And just the, the, the acceptance and the the kind of love in that speech you know i think it's mm. that's that's yes brilliant. it is that, beautiful it, it is. really is absolutely and everything you want your dad to say to you i think i think the last 10 minutes is pretty powerful stuff i think yes. the choices that they make to end holding on his face as well mm. what i love a, i love a credit that's not just credits that's something else mm. like the film's mm. carrying on because people actually stay during the credits and read and watch and yeah. it's, it's, it's remarkable acting and the phone call the choice that not to really hear Oliver but to hit see uh, Timothy's reactions and what, him mm-hmm. I think it's great yeah. choices to get yeah. really bad news down the phone and then to just sit in front of the fire and reflect on what that feels like um, I also love the fact that they not, they put a crafty um, breaking the fourth wall in there at the very final moment. He looks directly to camera, and it feels mm. like he said it's a sort of little nod to say we all know what this feels like. We've all mm. had our heart broken, and as much as it's terrible, we can remember the joy of what we experienced. As his dad says, you know, remember the joy of it, and you know, yeah. don't let it don't let it break you. I do like how they try and keep it. You think they kept trying to keep it secret for the whole film, but the mum and dad clearly know. It's like it's so yes, obvious. there was a scene that was cut, which was the mum and dad listening to them, sort of making out outside and from and and, and knowing entirely. Oh, yeah, wish they hadn't cut that. That's the bit I think it needed. I kind of felt yeah. like it needed their the mum and dad to have a conversation about it, or you know, just be aware of it. You know, I think that yeah. kind of I missed that. I wish they hadn't yeah. cut that scene. But then, you know, you get the dad, the dad really does say that in the speech that you mm. like, doesn't he? That, you know, um, I'm aware of it. And also that I've experienced it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. And I think the mum does. There's a scene in the at breakfast where they're sort of um, talking about things and um, the mum looks at them both and you think she knows. Yeah. She yeah, knows yeah, what's yeah. going on. I love the mum. I love her. I love their dinner parties. I want to just go and sit in an Italian villa now more than ever, having never been away anywhere. Really want a glass of frizzanti in an Italian villa garden with the uh, yes, the heat, Mrs. just Coleman. heat. Yeah, yeah, fresh I mean, peaches off burn, trees. But... Me too, me too. I have to have to sit under a parasol, but I could live with that. Factor seventy. I get it from Canada. It's called copper tone or something. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I do. I do. I had to fast forward the. And how to put it the the peach scene today i just find yes. it very i find it very uncomfortable um and i don't know why i don't know what you know you never defiled a fruit in your life no i no and i've watched american pie a lot <laughs> <laughs> I, was I, that, mean, I was that era where i thought hey yeah. fucking a pie is okay yeah. but no i mean i think all. it is in the book isn't it and far weirder things are in the book so I i've guess heard it's, there's weird things in the book it's yeah more graphic isn't it yes so I guess you were always going to get that scene. It would be weird if it wasn't there. Um, I don't know yeah. because I was in my house. I was in this room watching it. In the cinema, it seemed okay because I don't yeah. know what... Actually, that sounds wrong because I was watching it with other people. So I accepted that. But in my house, it's like, oh, this is just feels dirty. <laughs> just me. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, he didn't ask the peach for consent. So we don't know how the peach feels, but... <laughs> I didn't mind it. 
I mean, boys do all sorts of weird things when oh, they're teenagers, yes. don't they? Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. stick it in all sorts of places. So I don't think a peach is that weird. <laughs> I didn't think the actual pe- the actual peach thing was weird. I think that Oliver kind of threatening to eat the peach and really upsetting Elio. I found that more unsettling yeah. than the actual act. Essentially, mm. I watched that bit. Mm. <laughs> That's the bit I didn't like. I didn't like that bit. I was like, no, don't. All uh, right, don't push it. Don't eat his peach. Yeah. Do you know what? Don't I don't even peach, like peaches. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, Timothy Chalamet will never get away from peaches his entire career, will he? When when he dies, the Oscar sort of in memoriam thing will probably just be a peach. Um, it's his his career defining moment. But yeah, bless him. <laughs> And those were Jane Crowther's Unequals Equals. Well, it was nice to talk about Before Sunset again. Yeah. And it was also nice to talk about Jewel of the Nile again. Well, less nice. (laughs) I really like Before Sunset and it surprises me how much I like it, I have to say. And also, I'd never seen um, Call Me By Your Name before. Yeah. So, you know, it was nice to get an opportunity to watch that, even though I found it slightly creepy. Massively creepy, yeah. I'm, I I like that Jane likes it, and um, I liked her talking about her little tour of Italy. Yeah. I found, like, her little Call Me By Your Name tour of Italy. I found that really funny. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I think more people should do that. I think more movie-themed holidays is a, is a good one. So, you know, go off to Tunisia and go and visit the, the Star Wars set <laughs> in the desert. That's a good one. I thought you said, um, like, going to the Jewel of the Nile set and where it was. <laughs> nah, don't do that. Just, I mean, don't fall into the Jewel of the Nile's tricks, right? It makes you forget how bad it is. Don't, don't forget. Don't forget how bad it is. Never watch it again. Yeah, this podcast points out that it is a bad, 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 film. bad, bad. And hopefully we don't have to talk about it again for a while. It'd be nice. It seems to sort of crop up once once a series, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so far. It's not nice. Um, yeah, Jane was brilliant, wasn't she? She was really brilliant. It was really nice to have her on and you know, really, really intelligent really great guest yeah i think uh, yeah i really enjoyed it yeah check out total film it is one of the country's biggest leading uh film magazines it's always top quality stuff in there and this sounds really pithy but they have brilliant covers like they the, do the, yeah the, the effort that goes into the covers of total film is excellent yeah and their yeah. podcast is really good the total film podcast yeah. check that out jane's always on it i believe with some a couple of others um we we'll probably tr- try and dra- drag them onto this podcast at some point. So that sounds like you should get ready idea. for that. Um, Rich, what can you tell them about our podcast? Well, you can find us on Google, on iTunes. You can find us on Acast, and you can even find us on Spotify. And when you do find us, give us a cheeky little subscribe, give us a like, but also tell your friends because we think this is a really great podcast. All our guests seem to really enjoy it, and we think your mates would enjoy it too. So let them know. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Yeah, give me a little treat. It's nearly Christmas. It is it is so nearly I had to check the date of when this is going out. But it's so nearly Christmas by this point. <laughs> Happy Christmas everyone. Yeah, very nearly Christmas. And what's going to happen is we're going to take a little Christmas break. So this is our last our last interview episode before Christmas. Um, and we're going to have a couple of weeks where we're not going to do our extra episodes cuz we have a little Christmas break. Yeah. But as a very, very special treat on the 27th of December, there is a very special Christmas episode where we have lots of lots of fun discussions about good, bad and dream Christmas sequels. Yeah, that should be fun. That'd be out. That should be, yeah. Uh, I've got nothing else to say. Have you got anything else to say? Well, social media, Dave. Oh my Can't forget God. the socials. Oh, yeah. So you can find us on uh, Twitter... And Instagram at unequal sequel, and you can also send us a cheeky little email if you want to. It's unequal sequel at hotmail dot com. Damn it, he got it right again. <laughs> yep, let us know how good we're doing. Uh, get in contact, please. And yeah, thanks for everyone who listens uh, for this last. Well, I think we've been going for six months now, Rich. It feels like longer than six months. Not in a bad way. It just feels like we've been, you know, we've, we're more established than that. Our first episode released on the 14th of June. Wow. Okay. 
I think we've been talk because we've been talking about it for a lot longer than that, haven't we, Dave? We've yeah, been, yeah. I think we sort of started talking about it in like this kind of time last year. So I think you know that that's why it feels longer for me. Yeah. Well, hopefully in a good way. Yeah, yeah, in a very good way. I really love this podcast. I really have fun doing it, and hopefully everyone has fun listening to it too. Have a lovely Christmas. We'll be back with our special Christmas episode, and we'll see you all in January for our wonderful interview episodes with our even more wonderful guests. Perfect. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a good one. Hope you get all that you want. Uh, it's a goodbye from me. Bye-bye. And it's also a goodbye from the big man. Ho, ho, ho. Bye. Genius. Have a good week. See you next time. Bye. Bye.